And at this time, I invite the children who are ages three. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If I were to ask you what is Martin Luther's favorite psalm, your response might be Psalm 46, since that was the psalm that inspired Luther to write, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. But you would be incorrect. Martin Luther's favorite psalm was Psalm 118. Psalm 118, Luther wrote this. He said, this is my own beloved psalm. I fell in love with this psalm especially. Would to God all the world would claim this psalm for its own, as do I. High above the plains and rolling hills of Bavaria and southern Germany rises the Coburg Castle. Today's visitor can walk through the courtyard to find a massive sculpture of Martin Luther holding a Bible. Luther lived in the Coburg Castle from the end of April to the beginning of October 1530. And he wrote many good pieces of publication or for publication during those months, including extensive commentaries on Psalm 117 and Psalm 118. On the wall, where he did his writing, was painted in large letters a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 17. The restored quote can still be seen on that wall today. It translates, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. This psalm Luther named his favorite, and this text, verse 17, became his personal model for life. As we observe the Reformation today, I think it's appropriate that we spend some time mining some of the truths from the Reformer's favorite psalm, a psalm that no doubt inspired and sustained Luther through some tumultuous times, a psalm that conveys both a promise and the task that is set before us today. The psalm begins, and you can follow along if you want in your bulletin as we spoke Psalm 107, 118 earlier, but the psalm begins and ends with, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Martin Luther found much joy and peace in the everyday realities of creation. Sun, food, drink, grain, clothes, metal, precious metals, house, spouse, children, music, good government, education, the functioning of one's body. Luther saw these all as signs of God's goodness and his steadfast love for all creation, for those who worship him and even for those who don't. Martin Luther wrote, This verse should be in the heart and the mouth of every person, every day and every moment. Every time he eats and drinks and sees and hears and smells and walks and stands, every time he uses his limbs, his body and his possessions, he should recall that if God did not give him all this for use and preserve it for him, he would not have it. And so ponder this morning all the gifts of creation in your life. 
as ordinary and as normal as many of these gifts may be, are they not a sign of God's goodness and mercy and His steadfast love for you and for me? Do you not find yourself thinking from time to time, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. But for Martin Luther and for us, God's goodness and mercy is experienced most fully in this life and in, for all eternity, actually, in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the relationship that the Holy Spirit has, has entered into with us through the means of grace. Martin Luther writes, We know that it is Jesus Christ who has redeemed us, purchased and won us from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that we might be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him. For he has risen from the dead, he lives and reigns to all eternity. And this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith, and it's in this Christian church that he daily and richly forgives all of our sins with the certain promise that he will raise us and all the dead and give us eternal life. Yes, indeed. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Focusing on the goodness and steadfast love of God the psalmist and the processional choir singing this psalm invite us to worship and adore our God. We read, let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. The chosen people of God, those called to serve as priests, are bidden to acknowledge the enduring love of God. All those who fear the Lord, including you and me, are summoned to raise our voices in song and to praise our Creator, our Protector, and our Savior, whose love for us lasts for all eternity. As we reflect on the goodness of God as He provides the necessities needed for the health of our bodies and our souls, how can we not but sing, I will not die, but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. And yet despite the fact that we experience God's goodness daily. The flip side of our reality is that in this life, as a follower of Christ, we find that our life is one of distress, anxiety, and grief. Life's troubles squeeze life out of us. The grind of life saps us of our energy. Struggles box us into corners, making us feel trapped. The psalmist acknowledges that God's people have enemies. I mean, Luther himself was not without enemies. There was the imperial edict, branding him as a heretic, worthy of death. Erasmus, John X, Wingley, among others, were Luther's theological opponents. Even a close friend and colleague like Andreas Karlstadt became his nemesis. I'm sure there were times in Luther's life when he felt as though all the nations were against him that he was surrounded on every side and that they swarmed him like angry bees, using words from Psalm 118. In addition to all of these opponents, Luther lived with daily physical and emotional pain. Physical ailments like arthritis, kidney and bladder stones, 
angina, cataracts, and Meniere's disease made daily living burdensome for Luther. Luther wrestled with spiritual attacks and mental illness. He endured long bouts, severe bouts of depression. He described his ongoing struggle in varied terms. He talked about the melancholy, the heaviness, and the depression of life. He talked about the dejection of spirit and the downcast soul. He talked about being sad and downhearted. He suffered with mental illness for much of his life and often revealed these struggles in his works. Evidently, he did not think it was a shameful problem to be hidden. Some of the struggles he saw as the work of Satan, and other times he realized that some of it was his own doing or the result of the physical and mental shortcomings due to sin's effect on his life. Luther was also beset with tragedy. His eldest daughter, Elizabeth, died at the age of seven months. Luther's 13-year-old daughter, Magdalena, died in his arms after prolonged illness. In a letter to his friend, Justice Jonas, Luther wrote, I believe the report has reached you that my dearest daughter, Magdalena, has been reborn into Christ's eternal kingdom. I and my wife should joyfully give thanks for such a fitting departure and blessed end by which Magdalena escaped the power of the flesh, the world, the Turk, and the devil. Yet the force of our natural love is so great that we're unable to do this without crying and grieving in our hearts, or even without experiencing death ourselves. The features, the words, and the movements of the living and the dying daughter remain deeply engraved in our hearts. Even the death of Christ is unable to take this all away as it should. You, therefore, give thanks to God in our stead. For indeed, God did a great work of grace which he glorified our, when, he, when he glorified our flesh in this way. Magdalena had, as you know, a, a mild and lovely disposition and was loved by all. God grant me and all my loved ones and all my friends such a death, or rather, such a life. Yes, Luther knew what it was like to experience all kinds of enemies. But in the midst of all of these trials and tribulations, Luther found solace and he found comfort and he found hope in the words of Psalm 118. One can just imagine with all of these things going on in Luther's life as he opened up the pages of the Bible and looked at Psalm 118 and he'd read these words, they, they meant so much to him. These words where the psalmist writes, In my anguish I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but, the but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand has lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Yes, the Lord has chastened me severely, 
but he has not given me over to death. No doubt Luther lapped up these words. Like a parched man drinking water from a spring in a desert, and he found that the Lord satisfied his thirst. It's no wonder that Martin Luther fell in love with this psalm and made it his very own. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have enemies too, don't we? We're experiencing an increasing pagan and hostile society. We have governments that make policies that are contrary to the Word of God and that put us in very difficult situations. We have a media that is slanted against Christ. We have atheistic and secular organizations trying to bring down churches and Christians in their personal business life. We have family and we have friends and we have neighbors and we have people that we work with who don't appreciate our Christian beliefs and values and who might even be antagonistic towards us. We have cultural forces all around us trying to squeeze us and shape us into ungodly ways and behaviors. And in addition to all of that, we too, like Luther, struggle with physical ailments. Some of us have arthritis, some diabetes, some have problems with their thyroid, some with their heart, some are struggling with cancer, others have back issues, some are lingering, are just suffering with a lingering cold that won't go away. And oftentimes we also wrestle with emotional and psychological issues from depression to anxiety to post-traumatic stress disorder, among many others. And we grieve, don't we? We grieve the death of some loss in our life, the ending of a relationship, an estranged relationship with a child or a sibling, maybe the death of a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend. Like the psalmist and like Martin Luther, we endure the chastening hand of the Lord. And as we go through this chastening, we may be tempted to think that we're being punished by God for some unconfessed sin or some act of disobedience. We may be lured to entertain the notion that the Lord has abandoned us. We might find ourselves at the brink of despair, at our breaking point. And we might even find ourselves crying out, my God, why have you forsaken me? But how wrong-headed we are if we think that during our times of distress that we should form alliances with the powers of this world, hoping that some government leader or program will somehow provide the assistance that we need. Or how wrong-headed will we be if we think our problems can be, res can be resolved by relying on the valued treasures of a godless world. These distresses are not sent to destroy us. But instead, the Lord brings them into our life so that he drives us to pray to implore his help, to fight, to exercise our faith, to learn another aspect of our Father's person, and by the grace of God, to be victorious. Know the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's the song of faith. That's the song of the psalmist. That's the song of Luther. That is our song. You see, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the Lord, he is always with us. The Lord is our Lord Emmanuel, and we need not be afraid. I mean, no matter what we face in life, what can man really do to us? What can anything really do to us? As Paul himself says, and you know these words well, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The one who battled the forces of hell and conquered death is our helper, our daily helper. Verse 15 of Psalm 118 can actually be translated, the Lord's right-hand man has done mighty things. The Lord's right-hand man is lifted high. The Lord's right-hand man has done mighty things. And we, knew, we know who the Lord's right-hand man is, don't we? None other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, he was lifted high on a cross to forgive us of our sins. He descended into the grave to taste death for us. He ascended from the grave, promising everlasting life to all who believe, and he ascended on high where he rules and reigns for all eternity. That's why Martin Luther could write these words from a mighty fortress as our God. He says, no strength of ours can match our old satanic foe. We would be lost, rejected if we relied on our own strength and willpower. But now a champion comes to fight, whom God himself elected. And who may this be? It's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. It's Jesus Christ, mighty God, God's only Son. He fights for us and is victorious. And so though hordes of devils fill the land, threatening to devour us, we need not tremble, we need not fear. They cannot overpower us. Let this world's tyrant rage one little word from our Lord can fell him. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. It's with all this in mind that the Lord's people stand at the door of the temple with excited anticipation of coming into the presence of God. That's the picture in Psalm 118 beginning of verse 19. Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. With branches in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. For you are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. Yes, we can just visualize the people of God longing to get in through the doors of the temple so that they could join their voices and praise this God who is the one who grants them victory. And we, too, stand at the doors, don't we, of God's temple longing to come into the sanctuary, to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship our Creator and Savior, to give thanks to the Lord, to rehearse and hear the stories of God's redemptive plan unfold in the person of Jesus Christ, 
to hear of all of his marvelous deeds, to enter into this place and to celebrate and rejoice, to make music and sing songs and, 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 and celebrate together the eternal joy that is ours in Christ. And so, yes, we join our voices, don't we, with the Palm Sunday Masses. The, Psalm, the Palm Sunday Masses that we heard even in Psalm 118, verse 25, where they said, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Yes, we come into this house so that the Lord might forgive us, so that we might hear his words of pardon and peace, so that we might be strengthened in our faith and assured of God's forgiveness as we eat his body and drink his blood. As we look at the baptismal font and remember that it was in our baptism that the Lord claimed us as his own and he has continued to nurture us in the faith. And so we too join our voices with those of Palm Sunday and throughout the ages and we not only say, Hosanna, Lord, save us, but blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Lord does come, doesn't he, to us. He comes to us in this place as we worship him as we focus our minds and hearts on his word, as we come to the Lord's table, as we remember our holy baptism, as he speaks through me in this message and as he speaks to me through the words of absolution. But he also comes to us throughout the week, doesn't he? As we open up our scriptures and read it and study it, as we take out our phones and read the Bible on our phones, the Lord comes to us and he reminds us that he is with us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that he's walking with us daily through all the aspects of our life. And so we are so blessed to come into this house of worship and to worship the Lord. But we dare not keep this glorious news in the temple. But we are to proclaim the goodness and the mercy and the steadfast love of God to the nations beginning right here in our neighborhood, right within our own homes. One more quote from Martin Luther. He writes, For once a Christian begins to know Christ as his Lord and Savior, through whom he is redeemed from death and brought into his, dominion, into his dominion and inheritance, God completely permeates his heart. Now he is eager to help everyone acquire the same benefits. For his greatest delight is in this treasure, the knowledge of Christ. Therefore he steps forth boldly, teaches and admonishes others, praises and confesses his treasures before everybody, prays and yearns that they too may obtain such mercy. There is a spirit of restlessness amid the greatest calm, that is in God's grace and peace. A Christian, you and I, cannot be still or idle. He constantly strives and struggles with all of his might as one who has no other object in life than to disseminate God's honor and glory among the people, that others may also receive the spirit of God's grace. Hopefully you now see why Martin Luther said of Psalm 118, this is my own beloved psalm. I fell in love with this psalm especially. Would to God that all the world would claim this psalm for its very own. Indeed, I pray you will make this psalm your own and that you will adopt verse 17 as a model for your life. For what was true for the psalmist and was true for Luther is true for you and me in Christ. I will not die, but I will live and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. Amen.